How's it going, everyone? Welcome to episode, I think this is 12 of the Ionosphere. Today, we are going to be taking a look at probably a bunch of things, but mainly we're going to be starting with how music and other forms of media consumption affect the mind. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Garrett Daly. I have some books to promo today, so get ready to look at them. This is The Five Pillars of the Ascendant Mind. This is the first book from Ion Media. Uh, this is an impressively thick book compared to most of what people put out. On Twitter, that is available on Amazon. Additionally, I have Master Self Year One, which is even thicker than that book. Uh, it's like almost 300 pages, and it's very nice. Looks great on a table. They won't have this stripe on them because that's the proof copies that I got. Yours will be even nicer, so check those out. I am joined today with Chris Liss. Uh, hello. Yes, my real name isn't actually Chris Lish, in case you're tuning in for the first time. Uh, yes, I am a. Uh, I am here, I guess, primarily to uh, promote the book that uh, Garrett Daly is so so wonderfully contributing on, as well as a handful of other people on the Ionosphere. You might have recognized a name like Benjamin George or Benji, as we affectionately call him, or I affectionately call him, no homo. Uh, and it's called Masculinity in the 21st Century, a Primer. It is basically a compendium of articles uh, centered around six topics, and those topics are, uh, damn it, Star Wolf. Star Wolf has arrived. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I knew right, this. That's Chris. I was talking. That's Chris. Sorry. Yeah, that, yeah. That's Alan. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm Thud on Twitter, and um, I don't have anything to promote yet, although you'll be seeing some content from me in the form of books around midsummer. So uh, watch out for that. That's it for me. And surprisingly to all of us, Chance Lunsford. <laughs> Ole. He's got some books. That's all I got to say. Ole. You can find those somehow on the internet. Uh, but yeah, by, by Chance's books too. All right. So with that introduction out of the way, we are going to start off by discussing how uh, music and media consumption affects the mind. So one of the things, I, I guess I'll start this off. Uh, I wrote about this in this book, but uh, a while ago, I started uh, to try and develop a playlist where it's exclusively motivational, uh, uplifting stuff. Nothing like not singing songs about getting drunk or uh, missing your ex or shit like that, where there's a time and place for that. but I developed this playlist uh, and my experiment was I'm going to leave this on every night when I go to sleep and see if it reprograms my subconscious. And it seems to be that changing the quality of the lyrical content of the music that you're listening to over time improves your mood. Uh, does anyone have a take on that? I mean, I, I definitely think that's true. Um, I, I, I was, I've been trying to do a couple different things when I go to sleep. Uh, we can have a whole episode about sleep. That'd be great. And that, that is, I play, uh, I've been cycling through a couple different uh, playlists or play um, videos, like six hour long videos of just like relaxing music. And I've been trying to uh, see how my mood is like in the morning. I haven't made any really meaningful connections between non-lyrical music. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll just say that um, and, and keep my thoughts for, for another time. I would say, go, go ahead, man. Please. Please, Chance, you, you first, you special guest. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, I think it's pretty undeniable that the lyrical content can have an effect on you and um, your level of susceptibility to, um, say, state change by music is going to depend on a number of factors, including genetic factors and, and cultural factors. Um, but I would say that there's even the possibility of something a bit deeper than that which is we as humans are receivers of signals and those signals are merely vibrations upon a continuing spectrum when you for example download information to your phone it's coming in on that same spectrum whether or not it's in a space that you can perceive or not and I postulate that there is perhaps some sort of receiving mechanism that subconsciously keeps track of a lot more of the signals flowing through the air, so to speak. 
um, than we're conscious of. And that the, in some, in some instance, this is, this is the collective consciousness at work. Um, and that the, the collection of, or like the mass collection of all of the total data being sent across the airwaves is having a fundamental effect on all of us, regardless of whether or not we are participating in the perceivable spectrum of these frequencies. I have something for that, but we're going to introduce our second surprise guest. Uncle Sickness is here. Can you hear us? Yes. Can you guys Excellent. hear me? Yeah, tell us about yourself, and if you have anything to promo, now is the time. Oh, uh, well, I study and teach Chinese internal martial arts, Taoist philosophy and meditation, um, and a bunch of other weird stuff. Uh, most of my work is on my website, sicknesskungfu.com. Um, that's probably it. Some of you may already know me from the Old World Episode 1. Which was excellent, by the way. I'm very impressed with the quality of that. Uh, it's oh, probably going to be better than this episode, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to jump right back in. Uh, Unc, you're going to catch up, I'm sure. So Chance, the, the issue that I find with that is that oh. that implies there's some kind of mechanism where people would have the ability to like decode binary radio waves or something which i don't think that necessarily i mean i think like if you're going off of maybe people could get irradiated because we have so much kind of free energy in the atmosphere but i don't i can't imagine that there's any universe where the brain could decode uh you know transmitted signals like that unless you're Let going for you a angle that i missed have 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 you ever used a computer no <laughs> <laughs> what, came, what came first the ones and the zeros or the computer you know what i mean i mean i get that but like there's no no amount of time you could put a ones and zeros computer in front of me with me being able to understand it i can't yeah, there is a difference between code and a language that has semantic content um so you know that no matter how many ones and zeros you have you need a translator that turns the ones and zeros into something recognizable, right? So you can't just read the ones and zeros by itself. But I, I, I wanted to say something about the, um, um, I guess I'm, I'm a classical musician by, by trade. Um, and uh, my, my, the way I listen to music is, is probably a little bit more, uh, I don't know, esoteric than, than most. And that, you know, I, I, I tend to hear specific things that, um, most most people would, would just find completely inane or boring, um, but my sense is that um, art in general. So this is not music, but art sort of trains your intuition about certain things. So um, I think when you know when when you get a complex situation, you can't calculate all the all the factors that, that are there in the situation. You know, if you're dealing with people, for instance, there's too many, too many factors to actually calculate like a computer would. Uh, and so you have to use heuristics. And I think at a very high level, uh, the, the ultimate heuristic, the heuristic of heuristics is an aesthetic. And that's what art trains. And so when you listen to a piece of music, it's, it's not just that it's, it's uh, sort of coding your brain into being happier or, or, or doing anything like that. I think it's actually giving you a tool with which to look at the world a little bit differently. And, and that's a, a sort of aesthetic tool that trains your intuition towards, you know, well, well, that's, that's all I'll say. I don't know if anyone wants to respond to that. <laughs> that makes sense. What's the intuition you're talking about? Well, I think it depends. I mean, music is sort of, is probably the most abstract of all, all the different art forms or all the different media, but. Not ballet. I don't understand what they're doing. In he, ballet, said to form. he said art form. He said art form. No, I think, I mean, because. Tag, tag AJ Cortez. In so, so, so it depends. It depends. So, I mean, 
because you have you have music with words and music without words and those are really two different things and so the lyrical content of something is definitely programming your brain in the way that reading a book will program your brain but i don't think it, it programs it in the same way that for instance it, it programs it like fiction programs your brain rather than like nonfiction, right so and it's a little bit more vague and, and i think it's it's not about giving you something a sort of conscious uh, way of looking at the world. It's about the unconscious part. It's something that kind of trains your intuitions and your aesthetic sense. I feel like it might operate on multiple levels because so for um, a good example of this, a lot of what I listen to is like at least metalcore, if not melodic death metal or heavier. So from a musical aspect, there's kind of like a there's a very aggressive and sometimes dark element to it, which I feel like that would be what's affecting the subconscious level. But then on the top of that, you have generally positive, in regards to my playlist, it's all uplifting positive lyrics, you know? So have you ever seen when they do um, like Metallica in major key where they shift the, the key of songs that are normally minor and make a major or vice versa? Like I know they did, um, Smells like teen spirit. Darkness imprisoning me. Yeah, All that yeah, I right. see, absolute horror. <laughs> right, right. So it's interesting if you think about that because, like, there's got to be some kind of dissonant thing going on. There's got to be a level that it's hitting on top where you're cognitively, you know, consciously thinking, well, this is making me think a certain way or I'm interpreting this a certain way. I'm feeling something. But then there's got to be, like, you're talking about the intuitive level where. I mean, there's um, there's some some songs that I think are really great, but I don't think they're great all the time. And then occasionally I'm in exactly the right mood and it really hits you. You know, you're like, oh man, this is the most badass thing in the world right now. So I'm curious what, what whether you see the two levels. I think there may be more than two levels, but at least two. I mean, I think the, for me, the issue is that uh, I think music definitely does have semantic content. Right, so it's not just it's not just random. It's not just sort of relative. It's not just subjective. There is something about the way that the notes are put together. Um, that let's say you take away the the text, right? There's something about the way the notes are put together, the the timbre of the sounds, the rhythm of it, that is actually giving you. Well, and the thing is, I wouldn't say it's information, per se. I think it's it's something like it's something like pattern recognition. It's, it's, this is the relationship between things, you know, the, the, like, uh, I, I've often, uh, I've, I noticed that in uh, pieces by Mozart, there's a certain ratio of consonance and dissonance in, in the melodies. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it sort of follows an, an 80, 20 or a Pareto principle distribution. And I think there's something about that, which tells you about, the way the world looks that there's things come together and then there's this little extra bit of things not being quite together and it's that's what what music trains and in my opinion is that it, it trains that aesthetic sense uh, of of the world it's interesting I, 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 I can see that things the text can either match that or not match it and and mm -hmm. that, that could be the the dissonance there I would just quickly interject as Wilson from Home Improvement that um, levels of perception are limited only by your ability to perceive, even if it's unintentional by the creator. Content has infinite levels just like everything else does. And so when you're listening to music, there's embedded meaning and there's embedded language. Sure, but and there's also your own interpretive mechanisms and reflexes that come into play and assign meaning and assign connections to previously um, created categories and connections. And it doesn't make it any less real than the embedded meaning because it has been actualized and permanentized into your life. So in the context of music with lyrics or without, um, you know, lyrics obviously are more readily accessible than uh, musical notes to most people um, but regardless of that there are 
there are no limitations to how much meaning you can extract out of a single note, much less an entire song or an entire album or entire collection of music from a given artist or genre. And so um, I would just caution anyone listening or participating to be careful and selective in the ways that we assign perhaps a moral component or a judgmental component to um, music. I mean, certainly that has its utility, but it must be counterbalanced by the awareness that most of the impact and meaning that's derived from music is a personal endeavor. That makes sense. So there's, um, that's a good spot to segue. Um, let's, here, here's a question for the group. Um, do you think that, well, I, I guess I'll start with this. I've noticed that there's recently been a trend of increasingly uh, depressing, nihilistic, suicidal, or hedonistic music, where, I mean, hedonistic music is pretty popular all around. People like to dance to happy shit, you know, but if you look at some of the, the stuff that's becoming mainstream, especially as far as rap is concerned, there's the, that one guy, all my friends are dead, uh, that kind of shit, or the rise of these dudes that aren't just like, it. I guess it went from like rap that was about like hustling and selling drugs and making money to taking a bunch of drugs and, and killing yourself. Uh, and that seems to be getting more common. So do you think that this is something that would have to be combated on the level of making music? Or is this, does this go deeper than that culturally? Let me jump in real quick and then I have to return to my family. So I, my reign as worst podcast guest of all time continues. Uh, but I'll say this. I have been... <laughs> I have been um I've been to some seminars by a guy named Kirk Duncan. He's a local um speaker and I found a lot of value in what he has to teach and in his approach. Um but one of the things he does as a practice of his own is he listens to the radio and he takes notes and he looks for commonalities in the themes of the music in the top 40 and it's sort of his ear to the ground listening for Buffalo because what he's trying to do is find the themes that are relevant to people currently. And then he creates materials and prepares his own family, but then takes this content onto the stage and delivers it to people um, wrapped up inside of principles and metaphors and exercises and stuff. But he uses top 40 music as a gold mine of information about how to understand how modern um, society is viewing the world and how uh, trends are shifting. And now I'm going to go. I love you all. Bye, Chance. Bye. Cheers, uh, take it easy. I definitely um, think there's something to that because one of the things that I do, I, I, I don't generally listen to the radio because they don't play an abundance of death metal on the radio, but um, I do watch a lot of Netflix because, and, you know, go to the movies and stuff because you really really get an idea of what's going on in the world by seeing what's going on in the media, you know? And I mean media in the general sense of like stuff that's being produced for human consumption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's definitely important to keep, keep an ear to the ground. And I think it's telling that this kind of subgenre of rap called, I think it's actually called misery rap, uh, where you basically talk about how, how shitty everything is. Uh, is re is really telling because you know you, you you people you know of different generations have listened to different kinds of music you know my parents always talk about how the 80s were the best time you know the best time of music uh, I happen to agree with that because uh, it's not it's not just that the that the lyrics were happy all the time a lot of times they were really sad but it was about emoting and expressing as opposed to bottling it up and then trying to pulverize it with drugs and alcohol which is what I think what what's been going on so the popularity of something like misery rap is basically an extension of, I, I would argue, of what a lot of, uh, of, the, of the collective sub ex, uh, subjective experiences, essentially, of millennials and Gen Z. And that is Gen Z and millennials are, are, are lost in a kind of sense. They're, they're not grounded or anchored on anything meaningful. Um, you can argue from any number of perspectives. You can say it's because you know, we, we undermine the church or religion as an institution. You can say we undermine the family. 
Um, but at some point, either these people are going to get tethered to something um, that's that's corrosive and that's going to burn off, or they're going to just fly off into the ether, uh, which is which is kind of the the worrying state of media right now because you can only push hedonism so much uh, b b before you realize that hedonism has run its course, and that's I think leading to like something like misery rap is the fact that we've exhausted this particular. Uh, train of doing things and now we still don't have enough in our life enough meaning in our life surprisingly all this hedonism all these all these small hedonistic things over time did not lead to a, a massive hedonistic uh, enlightenment so to speak uh, so aiding and worry um, but I'm, I'm once again a ruthless optimist hashtag ruthless optimist so yeah I mean <clears throat> I think it's, it's obvious to most you know observers that there's something about the way we're doing things as a society, I hate that phrase, but I it. as a society, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all the good words have been taken these days, you know, um, all the good phrases, but some foundational directive or motivation isn't quite working out. And it's shown by the fact that, well, we have all this wealth and we have all this good stuff and, and yet, you know, rates of depression and suicide and, 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 um, and and a, and a general enthusiasm for things, um, a kind of uh, lack of life. Um, I think that it's absolutely related to to the art that we produce. I think that's that is the domain of art. Is this, it's the stuff even below philosophy. You know, if you, if you say that philosophy is sort of in the world and, and, and asking the deep questions, I think art uh, is is sort of the level below that, and and or at least it reflects what what our beliefs about those things are. So. I, th I think it's, it's at least very indicative of, of the beliefs that, that are out there right, right now, if not, if not contributed. <laughs> what do you well. think, Brad? Well, now that I've caught up with what this discussion is about, um, first thing that caught my ear when I jumped in was uh, a comment about intuition. Uh, basically, in the view that I've adopted, uh, intuition is something that you develop in a specific context or more than just a, a, an artistic or creative or musical sort of viewpoint. Um, uh, it says in my, my favorite philosophical work, Lu Zhuangzi, uh, a path is made by walking on it. So if you aren't doing something, you're not really going to understand it. Um, and to what Chris said about uh, misery rap, you, you can tell how good people have it nowadays because of how hard they're pushing this. You know, I'm Generation X, I turned 41 last uh, month, and uh, the world is so much easier now than when I was a kid. And it was ridiculously easy when I was a kid. Uh, I look at my grandparents and they acknowledge that they suffered or that they had to work or talk for an hour about it. I look at my friends, they want to spend days talking about how hard it was. And you look at kids nowadays, do they say anything else? So um, I'd say that a lot of this negativity creeping into art, creeping into music, into various types of creative expression, it's, it's in contradistinction to their experience of suffering. And now, you don't suffer. So what do you have to say that's going to mean anything to anybody mm. older than you? Interesting. And I think, I think if you, if you completely uh, get rid of the idea of any kind of meaningful achievement someone has, because an achievement is usually hopefully uh, meaningful because you're overcoming some kind of suffering. Uh, so if, if it's a, a big race or a big sports game, or, you know, you're, you're upping, you're, you're doing something meaningful, you're, you're delaying. Um, so actually there's a couple of things here. You're, you're, you're in, willingly inducing kind of suffering in the short term um, for, and, and delaying gratification at the same time to achieve something greater than w w where you started. Um, and if, it's very easy to become receptive to all sorts of noise and signals that are kind of bouncing around uh, around you. And and I think, I mean, I was talking to Chief Chuck about this and the whole participation trophy generation that, that, that I was a part of. Uh, if you if you don't, if you never really achieve anything meaningful for yourself, then it's hard to appreciate meaning in someone else's achievements. So it, I, I would say, I would hazard I would theorize um, that people that have done meaningful achievements are more likely as incredible as opposed to someone who goes, it goes to a cathedral and says like, oh, you know, who that hasn't achieved much and just says, oh, this is just a big building, you know? Like, I think, I think there's kind of a connection there between achieving something for yourself and recognizing achievement in something else. And that's kind of anything. So we're all sad all the time. So then we're going to push misery rap in people's faces and, and people are like, oh, I can relate to this. Like, I'm sad all the time. Well, you're sad all the time because, yeah. you know, how you can, haven't achieved anything. How can, uh, yeah. how can children or young people be expected to achieve anything? when they've been taught to be terrified of adversity or effort mm -hmm. or suffering. But then at the same time, they're also taught, you know, you didn't work for it. It doesn't count. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't put in effort. And I'm thinking about my girl is uh, younger than me. Um, she put a lot of effort into her, her schooling. You know, she went to 
an art school in Massachusetts. Uh, and a lot of her classmates seem to have taken a lot of pride in their laziness, their sloppiness. The idea of learning a skill and perfecting it seemed bizarre to some of them from, from some of the stories I've heard. Uh, and that just, you know, with my martial arts background, the idea of not working to be the best, even though there's no such thing as perfection, mm -hmm. doing that nowadays and sort of, it's like an inverse bragging, almost a lack of skill, a lack of accomplishment. That's why I'm better than yeah, you because, because I care less. Because it's cool to it, care less. Just, so, that's yeah. a great, that's something we should yeah, take sorry. a look at. What, so that's something I noticed. I remember very, very distinctly, uh, I was in sixth grade and somebody, somebody came up to me, some random kid I had never, and it's like, I ne that's never made sense to me, you know? And that's such a pervasive, like that simple thing starts on that level in childhood and it builds up to like, I don't think it's just effortlessness though, because if you're fuck, right? Everyone knows that, you know, if you, if you like uh, do the Fonzie thing and, you know, elbow the vending machine, the can of soda comes out, that's cool as shit because it looks like you didn't give a fuck. But on the other hand, there's a difference in like denigrating effort, you know, yeah. that's, that's yeah. pernicious. That's a bad thing. I think, I mean, I, I don't know, to, to me, that that desire makes perfect sense, you know, as a, as a form of, I don't know, um, status perhaps um i mean w one way you know and it starts like in elementary school right one one status as as one of the cool kids or one of the, the better kids you know higher up in the social ladder is that you put yourself above everybody else that you're, you're all working on this stuff but this is this isn't even worth worth my time right also there's that element of of sprezzatura you know this that idea that your ability to just sort of offhandedly do something with incredible skill um, is is it's somehow it's beyond um, who is extremely competent. But you praise someone who is extremely competent without even working for it even more. So and 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 so I think without thinking about that problem too deeply, just on the surface, if you see that right, let's say you does all the right stuff and they get the A plus, right? And and you know and they're just concentrating on on the work, and then you see the the cool kid who who gets you. You know, he passes all the tests, he, does, he gets all the grades, but he doesn't really care about it. He just sort of does it offhandedly. And everyone, you know, it's not, that's not a school. Then I think the conclusion that you draw from that scenario is that, well, maybe work isn't that, that valuable. Maybe, maybe there isn't. And I, I think that the problem is that there is a kernel of truth in this, in that there are always, there are always strategies. There's the strategy, you know, on one hand, you have like step by step, 1% increases every, every day, right? And then on the other hand, you sort of, you, you think about it and you contemplate and, and you throw yourself into the chaos, right? And you make these sort of leaps that, um, that it's, it's much dirtier, but also quicker than, than the other strategy. And, and it takes some skill to know which one to apply in, in which scenario. Um, yeah, but no, no, I think, no, I think I mean, it's I think, related to that. Sorry, I didn't know if someone, if Garrett was going to jump back in. Go for it. Uh, no, no, no. I, I think, um, not, not, not to ruffle too many feathers here, I don't know where people stand on aesthetics, uh, but I think... Something like um, modern art, for example, kind of ties into this as well, because I think it's I, I, I definitely don't think if they're a colored square and then to have, you know, the, the Sistine Chapel, you know, ceiling like there, there is there's to me to me instinctively, I would want to say that they're not the same level of effort and hard work and determination, vision and all these other kinds of things that I think kinds of core values. Uh, like like hard work, putting in the effort, having vision, these kind of things. Then then you end up in the long term. We've seen um, you get you get a whole bunch of different kinds of perverse outcomes depending on what stakeholder is attached. So you get something like participation trophy, as Todd was saying. You get the you get the the, the, the cool kid who, who gets kind of all the credit. Um, you get something like misery rap in the very long term because no one understands accomplishment. No one understands that amazing feeling that you get when you genuinely applied yourself and have succeeded in a really really meaningful way. Um, and then it's hard to have aesthetics. It's hard to appreciate other people's hard work as well. So all these things are kind of, it, it's, it's kind of a toxic. And so we started off with this, this podcast talking about media, uh, the current state of media. But, you know, if you take a step back and you start looking at what, what kind of, what, what are the inputs in, into media? Because media is basically, I think, just the output of, of what, in, in my view, has just been um, like, a, I don't want to say a lack of values because that just sound like your grandparents saying, well, there's no values in the media. But it, it really comes down to, in our culture, it is a, is a, a really, um, weird kind of way that we look at hard work uh, and, and the value of hard work. And I'm sure I'm sure Uncle Sickness, from like an Eastern perspective, but like I'm I'm at a, at a school um, at a very international school, so like three of my roommates are Chinese, and like the idea of just doing hard work is so like ingrained in them. Like they they don't need a whole lot of accolades to do it. It's just like an obligation. It's a duty foe. It's like uh, it, I'm I'm the only Western quote unquote Western person here. Um, but something that they said is that 
um, West, Westerners tend to really want validation all the time. Like they, they really need to be told like that, that, that they're doing, I'm doing a really, I'm doing hard work. That's cause you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's an understanding among everyone that I'm supposed to do hard work. And I, I don't know what your thoughts were on that coming, coming out with your, with your martial arts. Oh, kind I, of I would definitely theory. agree with that assessment. Um, one of the biggest challenges in trying to teach martial arts is people wanting to turn uh, class time, work time yeah. into socializing discussion time. Uh, you know, workout clothes and we were supposed to be throwing punches at each other to practice, you know, receiving an attack. This is not appropriate in that context. And, or people want to turn it into, you know, live action dating websites or something showing off, you know, look how, look how cool I am. You're not here to be cool. You're not dignified in your weakness. You know, um, as far as the cultural stuff goes, we value validation here in the West. And I'd say uh, a lot of the East Asians really validate practical knowledge and practical ability, um, which is, you know, your grandparents' comment is, is so appropriate. My grandparents ain't doing specific things until I'm at a level where I can afford to be smug about how well I can display a skill or, um, you know, demonstrate knowledge. Or look at most of my cousins. I'm the oldest in my generation, um, younger. You know, they're just getting into their mid-30s. You look at most of them. I've got about 20 cousins that are between 17 and 25. And uh, they hate talking to me about anything. They hate hearing my opinion about anything because it, <laughs> they talk about, well, don't you hate so-and-so for this? No, I don't, you know, like, I'm, I'm not sure what the swearing policy is, but I'm sure you can guess where I was about to go. I couldn't care less about opinions about celebrities or about politicians, you know, like my political views uh, as side talkers. That's, that's what I want. So I'm very pleased right now with the way politics <laughs> in the United States because there's so many people that are just doing their angry big boy dance right now. I, I love it. Um, so I would, I would but, try and bring us back a bit. So, <laughs> now, uh, profanity is allowed. Just not like, uh, don't talk about stuff that's illegal. Don't implicate me in any crimes if you did them. Uh, no graphic sex acts. Describe, from, you from, know, from the waist stuff. Thank God the camera's from the waist stuff. <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe what I'm doing at the table. Um, so, Fuck. Okay, so let's let's try and tie a bunch of this together. So I don't think it's just as simple as I, I, I was trying to plot this out in my head, and it, I don't think it's so simple as like people. There's a series that I've been writing called the uh, Burden of Existence, right? The basically what I'm trying to do. Uh, I'm not going to get into it, but all all that you need to know is what I've determined to be the first virtue of things that benefit life and the living seems thing that we reward the most above everything else efficiency right uh invention is all inventions are means of increasing the efficiency decreasing the amount of effort required to do something almost all inventions there's some dumbass ones like uh the sham wow. cars cars increase the efficiency with which you can travel right um pretty much anything that you do uh the process of invention is going throwing yourself out there trying much much harder than it takes to do the thing right because we already know and eventually you can extract out of that an easier way that's significantly easier than the original way of doing it, right? So these kids that are doing effortlessness, I think they're like tapping into it. If you think about it, like um, if you have a, a mouse in a cage and there's like a food source that doesn't taste as good and then you have like, I don't know, like air, the mouse is gonna go eat the candy because it tastes better, right? And it's more calorie dense. They need to pack on as much food as possible. They're not programmed to think ahead and say, well, I'm probably gonna give myself diabetes, right? So. We're kind of like that too, uh, because we're programmed to take the shortcut, right? Biology seeks efficiency is a fundamental property. Everything's seeking to optimize its use of energy. So I'm curious as to whether it's that I, I, I can't like uh, I, I guess I, I'm I can't accept the case as sufficient, right? What's the deeper cause that's leading them? Well, to look, I mean, I think I, I think this is I I believe that people are actually always rational, in in the sense that they are making the decision that makes perfect sense as the conclusion of whatever's in their head, right? Now, that doesn't mean it's, it's wild. And so those kids who are getting away, I mean, I think what, what often happens there, because I observed that and I also participated in it when I was, when I was that age, um, I think what happens there is all these kids are playing this game and play that game as well, right? So maybe if you tried your hardest, you'd be like 80%, you'd be 85, 90, whatever, right? But you're not gonna beat that one super hard worker who's doing 100% and he's just better than you at that. So what do you do? You play a different game. I don't care about getting perfect grades. I care about making it through school and being the, the sort of the alpha guy and, and being socially recognized and all that stuff, right? So, but I, I and I think a lot of, if you've got the charisma for that, a lot of people will sort of begin to believe that because, hey, look at this guy, he's, he's doing so well. He's, He's succeeding at the game that he created, essentially. And so, like, what I was saying before with the, I, I didn't mean to, to denigrate hard work. That's not my point. My point is that there are different strategies and, and sort of disciplined hard work why it's necessary. 
you have to appreciate that it's not always necessary, that, or that it's not always optimal, let's, let's put it that way. But it is sometimes better to be more efficient and to jump ahead and take shortcuts. The problem is, it's, there's, there's an untake a shortcut well, you don't know if you missed anything important. That's the problem, right? And, and it turns out that if you're playing, I think the, the, the difference tends to be if you have it uh, or if it's a, a one-off game. Because if it's a one-off game, you can kind of skip a bunch of steps and, mm -hmm. and just get to the end. And if you do that faster than everybody else, you, you win. But if you're playing an iterated game where, let's say, it's your profession, like discipline is going to become much more important because if you don't have that in your toolbox, then later on in the road, when maybe it becomes really important, then suddenly it's not there, right? So, so it, I just want hard work, but <laughs> it's, it's that there is a real reason why people avoid it, or there's, there's at least a rationalization that, that people can, can use to defend why they're avoiding it. That is not, um, it's not completely unfounded. Yeah, but yeah. No, it does seem like a lot of people don't, picture. they don't necessarily realize what game is being played. You know, they may be playing, you can't win baseball with football rules, basically. And a lot of people seem to be putting in maximum effort at what they think is going on. But for the larger social group or the larger dynamic, it's something completely different, you know, disdain well, I mean, for effort. Standardized learning, right? I mean, you take a test. That's the, idea. That's the way that we, we at least that kids are conditioned to observe reality is, is like you get to the end and there's a goal matter. You just gotta, you gotta get there. Mm. Um, when in fact, it's more like, you know, life is a, it's a marathon. Yeah, a life, life is essentially a series of, of iterated games. But to, just to go back to what Garrett was, was mentioning as, as a path of least resistance. Um, and if you come of, 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 of least resistance and we have kind of an economic system that rewards efficiency, uh, the problem is when we, we put culture in the same kind of machine. We say, we need to reward culture for efficiency sake. And that's kind of very easy, I would argue, uh, to put out your rap album. I would know because I've been to Venice Beach and there's a lot of people hawking their rap albums. Uh, there aren't a lot of composers out there waving their symphonies around saying, look, look at, um, so when, when, we, when we have, uh, when people can, can realize, even if it's a pipe dream, that they can base their livelihoods around efficiency um, and part of, part of their livelihoods is influencing culture. That's kind of where everything starts. And it's, it's tricky, and I'm sure we can have a whole another podcast about education and, and our thoughts on education. Um, but if, if we're taught essentially to, to play a particular game, and that is if you, if you get terrible lyrics that makes people feel bad, that's, that's considered a success. If everything's just a facilitation of the path of least resistance, um, then, then once again, you get the results of, of where we're at right now. And that is uh, people don't appreciate things from an aesthetic point of view. Um, I, I, would, I would hazard anyone to name uh, top five, um, if you could name a uh, top five celebrities that produce uh, terrible pop music right now, you could probably do it. Any, any five living composers right now, I think it'd be a little bit more of a challenge. Um, so yeah, and I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to denigrate the market. Um, Cause once again, as it seems to be my line, the market is a facilitator and the market re rewards efficiency the same way that biology rewards efficiency. The problem is that if we do everything biologically, then it ultimately the basis um, us as the potential to be greater than and I, I, I think I think that's kind of I think that's kind of the vibe that I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to detect here, trying to trying to make everything connect. I'm, try, I'm trying to go full circle here yeah, so, without having Garrett do, do so too much of the work. This is I have an analogy that <laughs> might or a metaphor parable, I don't know. So imagine you have a stream, right? And the stream is running down a hillside and time for the water to get from the top of the hill to the bottom, right? Now, right where the stream begins the first turn to go down the hill, right, there's like a rock ledge here. And if the water were able to break through that rock ledge, it would go straight down. Stream where all the water is going is basically culture. It's the, the masses of people. They're all going the path of least resistance, but in the long run, that's a much, much longer, least, less efficient mm -hmm. method. You were to spend the time trying to dig a channel to the side, it's gonna be A, you're doing it alone. It's gonna take a huge amount of time to do it. And it's gonna have to start very, very small, right? But so there's a little channel cut then eventually the rest of everyone is going to go with you and there's not going to be any water going the old way, right? So I, I think that's kind of where we're at. We have a bunch of people who are aimlessly going in one direction. It's, it's a waste of time or it's not the right way to be going. And I, I think what we need to do is, is figure out who these people are. You could say mavens, uh, you know, is a good term for people who are going against the grain, kind of doing their own. Figure out how to identify and support people who are trying to do the right thing the hard way and figure out how to orient society in such a way that they, 
they prize that. And that kind of comes back to media consumption, which there's something I will say is money. You know, vote with your dollar. Don't buy music that doesn't uh, support like life or living well or good values and that kind of stuff. Don't watch TV shows that are putting subtle political and stuff. You know, a lot of people, media is fundamentally a vehicle for uh, philosophy, whether people realize it or not. And if they don't realize it, then it's a vehicle for someone else's philosophy. You know, so if I go make a movie and um, you have a, a guy who started, uh, overthrows him and gives all the money to everyone else, then, you know, politically, I'm probably, I, I personally probably disagree with that message. Uh, but you're also demonizing success inherently in that. So if you look at, I guess, you know, this kind of stuff you're consuming because everything, uh, philosophy is in everything. Everything has layers of meaning. There's depth to it. And if you don't pay attention to that shit, mm -hmm. then you are an outcome. Uh, yeah, else. sorry. Yeah, yeah. sorry, Thud. Yeah, I, 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 no, no, I, I was, I was just going to try to tie it, tie it back <laughs> into the initial thing about, about media. And, well, I wonder, you know, I think one of the thoughts that, that just popped up with you speaking, Garrett, was, um, you know, besides teaching, let's say, or communicating a kind of philosophy, I think what movies often, and we're, we're uh, mimetic creatures, right? We, we, we understand how people organize themselves and act by, by watching other people and movies do that too. And I, I wonder, well, I think that there, there are people in, in this age with social media and all this stuff and, and you've just got constant stimulation, whether it's music or any other kind of media, there is the interesting and generally the sort of disciplined approach tends to be much more boring and more straightforward. And so in terms of the, the, the people that we admire, the people that we're watching and uh, people are giving us advice, it will that I've got, I've got the, the, this, this thing will get you there, you know, it'll take you 80% of the way. And, and um, rather than watching the sort of quiet, hardworking person who just kind of plods along and, and gets to the, I mean, it's, it's the tortoise and the hare, right? Um, the hare is infinitely more attractive, particularly of constant media interaction. So I, I don't know, that's just a thought I had right yeah, now. Yeah, I so. mean, I think if you were to look at our, the, the way th people are rewarded nowadays, whether it's a like, it's your likes, your follower counts, um, at the end of the day, it comes down to some way to monetize that. So it's very easy. We have literally a quantum impact uh, in, in the world, and that is how much money you can generate. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's a bit of a far cry from, you know, Johann Sebastian Bach, who composed over 100 symphonies for the, for the glory of God. You know, he, he didn't do it. I mean, I'm sure he was living relatively comfortably because of leisure. Uh, but you give us a, a, lar a large amount of time of leisure to do things, and um, we're not doing, we're not composing symphonies anymore. Uh, we're, we're, we're listening to misery rap. We're, we're, we're jerking off and we're getting high. I mean, like, th this, is, this is not, this is intuitively, we know this isn't our deal because we're still miserable after we do all these things. Like, it's not making us feel better. And I think Johann Sebastian Bach probably died a much happier, much more meaningful man than I think um, Mac Miller died. I, I, don't, I don't think um, ODing on heroin or however he, 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 he died uh, was probably going to help me elevate myself. Um, but mainly when, when you have a society, I would argue once again, that's kicked out all the meaningful pillars to it. Um, and, and replaced it with the almighty dollar, uh, so to speak. Uh, you shouldn't be surprised when people relentlessly try for like an abstract principle, we'll just say God or some other higher meaning. Um, when you're striving just to get dollars, uh, you end up just having just a number. And that number you can use to exchange with other people for ultimately you know, their dollars and so on and so forth. But it's lying on a like a quantitative number, um, essentially at the end of the day when uh, I, I, I would argue, I would, I would guess a lot of these abstract philosophers with me would probably agree that there's gotta be something else more out there um, and you don't have to believe in God uh, to, to it is recognized as a path of least resistant efficiency model. And we're, we're striving to obtain more and more numbers. Um, there's there's going to be a point where you can have all the numbers in the world and still feel like you're missing out on something. I, I would argue. And I feel like um, if you're a person that died before the age of 30, that has everything going for them. If you're a football star that has millions of dollars when you retire and they lose it all, um, the accumulation of these numbers is, is ultimately, um, is ultimately temporary. It's, it's, it's temporal, like it's fleeting. It, it, it can come that is stronger than, than a number, I would argue, um, as, as abstract. That's about as abstract as I'm gonna get ever. Uh, I, I, don't, I really am not an abstract philosopher by any stretch of the imagination. But oh, there's a nice distinction. On, um, on, uh, trying to once I suppose. <laughs> All right, uh, you're at Mac Miller. <laughs> yeah, well, I like the old 90s hip hop, so I'll, I'll stay away from uh, musical topics as much as I can. But that distinction between, uh, I see a lot of people nowadays, but uh, they can't really, they don't they don't have uh they haven't cultivated a capability of spontaneous expression so they have to rely on like a serendipitous luck into it type of expression um uh where i started at least um you know you, with these i guess mac miller you know to make his music he has to take drugs and be miserable and get 
all sorts of fucked up um, in, mm-hmm. in every sense of the phrase, instead of have more classical composers that Chris mentioned, uh, that you, you've all mentioned. Um, you know, if you cultivate a skill, you can be spontaneous in demonstrating that skill. Uh, but if you always luck into a hit, you always um, striking, then it's, it's that, you know, that's that sports superstition type thing. You know, we see hockey players, so I've got to put my pads on in this, in this order. I've got to have this, but it, it's, it, it's a type of thinking of, you know, magical thinking for lack of a better way to say it, that's crept into how many other areas in society, um, you know, finance, I, I look close friends, and he's got, you know, these magical rituals that he does every time it gets to be promotion time thinking, you know, well, this is what I did six years ago and I got that $75,000 bonus. What do you, what do you do for people? They're not going to try and cultivate <clears throat> the ability to be spontaneously expressive. How do you help them? Yeah, you know, one of the, um, uh, I don't know, in- internet gurus, if that's the right term to call them, that, that I've, uh, I've enjoyed a lot of is uh, mm-hmm. Scott Adams. <laughs> yeah. I read, I read his book, How to Fail at Almost like, Everything. That's a good one. And uh, it's, it, well, one of the things that stuck with me is, is he sort of, he says, you know, if you're, if, you're a, if, you're, if you're going to invest some money in something, right, the person you want is the guy who's not passionate. You don't one the guy who's sort of he's really that's it and that's the person you want because those people you can rely on and uh the, the people who are sort of uh flighty um uh, are, are unreliable as a rule interesting yeah and i, <laughs> I don't think add, and i think um in the chat it seems like we're gonna get into wrap yeah up i was mode. gonna say so uh, uh, yeah so we got 10 minutes closing thoughts um we'll do another round yeah. from everyone and then yeah I'll, I'll, I'll just say um that if you're one of these people and you're you're knee deep in in it's it's not just me it's in a number of ways you can go out into nature you can see a waterfall and just feel like holy shit that's amazing like really really blow your mind but in a good natural way uh, the way I do it occasionally when I need to get out of my head out of this, I go to an organ recital. And I know every major city should still have a cathedral in it. Find out on Sundays they have an organ recital. You got like 9,000 pipes. Uh, the, the organ was built hundreds of years ago. And you can really just like you feel the, like the, 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 the reverberations, the acoustics. And it's just you're, 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 you, you elevate your mind in a star into something else. You'll be like, there is more out, out there than this misery culture that's been imposed on us and the, the never-ending quest for, 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 dollar, for, for dollar hunting. Um, really, really, really shock your system is what I would say. Um, and I think a lot of people are way overdue for a good final word. Um, and then after that, you can tether yourself to something meaningful once you've, once you've really shocked your system. Yeah. Um, I mean, that kind of ties us back into the music thing. Um, I guess probably the biggest takeaway that I could give for this topic is be fucking cognizant of the lyrical content of what you're listening to. Uh, pay attention to it of actually listening to the parts between the choruses because people, um, a good example, I mentioned this in the article I wrote on the subject, um, the song Closing Time by Semisonic, everyone hears the chorus and thinks it's about a bar. The song is actually, when you know that, and you'll never be able to unknow that. And it's very funny when you do know that because some of the jokes are like, uh, some of the lines are jokes that you would not have got if you thought it was about a bar. But uh, on a more serious note, start with music, it's the easy, or on Netflix, start with that. Become conscious of what you're listening to and apply that attention that you're developing to TV, movies, books. Books is then passively absorbing, but look at people you follow on Twitter. If you follow a bunch of people that just complain all the time, you're probably a person that complains all the time. It's like that. You get it like that. You eat, you are what you think, you know? So be very careful about what you're putting into your body in every way possible. Hmm. Anyone else got Closing thoughts? Yeah. I would say, um, you know, in my experience, if you are, let's say, in a dark place, just to use the vaguest possible language or, um, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, um, in my experience, the dominant feeling in those situations is a sense of futility and of no escape, of being trapped. You know, we, we say you're stuck in a rut, right? And uh, in my experience, it is, it's usually art or it's a movie or a book or uh, a great song or something like that, something artistic that kind of is the portal out of that that realm. Um, and so I would say in terms of, I would agree that it's very possible that that's keeping you in the same place. I'm, I'm sure everybody has the experience of sort of um, TV show over again or, or listening to the same song over and over again, not for enjoyment particularly, just sort of out of force of habit, um, maybe even fear. And I think trying something you know, taking the risk to go out and try something new 
uh, my, my that's dumb or um, I think that, that can that can often take you out of that that place that that circle that your your loop that you're going through. <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, kind of makes me wish I'd joined this whole discussion from the very <laughs> beginning. Um, but I think you've all made some really good points. Um, music is is such a huge influence on people because it's the most active, pass actively engaged. Even though you're sitting there with someone else's work, sort of consuming. But with with music, you do have to engage it. And um, you know, simple simple music with ugly lyrics is going to put you in a simple ugly world of no middle ground you know only the external and that's no way to live so i would definitely uh, agree with the encouragements you guys have already uh, laid out that think about what you listen to be deliberate in your choices um and and really explore that line where the unconscious and conscious meet in your body anything that will affect your breathing your whole um how easy it is for you to program yourself to do something new something different or something better you know use use what we have for biofeedback yeah, definitely. All right, so um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Uh, I, again, am going to tell you to go get Master Self Year One and the Five Pillars of the Ascended Mind, which are available now on Amazon. Um, if you get one and send me a picture of it, um, I'll, you should buy the paperbacks. They're better. Uh, Amazon's ebook system sucks ass. Mm -hmm. um, if you're looking for a cool motivational song or something, go listen to Rush's album, Hold Your Fire. Uh, almost all of the songs on that album are talking about achieving your goals and accomplishing missions go listen to mission by rush on hold your fire that's just like a good example of what music could be where it's really technical musicianship and either you're going to really hate the sound of getty lee's voice which you'll get used to or you're going to have your mind blown because it's just the best band you've never listened to probably um yeah so that's me go chill uh, Chris, what you got? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll just briefly say uh, Masculinity in the 21st Century, a primer coming out at, at the beginning of the middle of March uh, with Garrett Daly, uh, Benji, uh, a couple a couple of other names you may or may not, may, may not recognize for $10. It, it'll be great. And it's uplifting um, or, or good in some sense. Um, and I, I talked about the 80s where, where, where the lyrics are a little bit hazy, but it, but it feels good. Um, listen to the song Shout, but I think Tears for Fears did the original Shout and the Disturbed did a cover of it later. Uh, listen to Have Like a Let Catharsis. Yeah, yeah, let it all. I mean, you know, yeah, I, yeah. Thank, thank you, thank you, Garrett. Uh, but yeah, look, actually, actually, shout like this is have a catharsis with with your music. Don't just sit there like a like a sludge and get out there and do it. Um, after that, of course, you have to listen to great instrumental tracks, uh, Imperial March by John Williams or The Kraken. Um, just just great, just uplifting stuff you can work out to as well. So that that is me, masculinity in twenty first yeah, century primer. Uh, do out hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, oh, recommendations. Um, well, all my, all my recommendations are obscure classical music pieces by, by people who are long since dead. But in terms of something uplifting, um, uh, well, if you've got the time for it, there's an hour-long symphony by Gustav Mahler, his eighth symphony. Well, the resurrection is a, quite, a very good one. I was going to recommend the, the symphony number eight, also page. So that opens with quite a bang, and uh, it'll get you pumped up. So you'd listen to that. Yeah, Brad, what you got? Uh, Visit my site, sicknesskungfu.com. Hit me up on Twitter at sicknesskungfu and listen to anything by Redman in the 80s. The 80s <laughs> the 90s, sorry. Especially Dox the Name 2000. I, I was really that's expecting Kung Fu fighting, but I guess that was <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's just a song now with all the horrible jokes from my corny relatives. Um, well, you know, every time I see certain people, it's bad karate chops and Bruce Lee comments and stuff uh, like that. So I can only imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it's interesting. I've had to explain to certain relatives. If I won't follow <laughs> our religion, why am I going to let somebody else tell me what to do? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, on that note, another, uh, another really good classical piece that isn't necessarily uplifting, but will definitely get you out of your comfort zone, The Devil's Trill Sonata. I, I think it's six or seven minutes in, just insane. Um, really, really cool song. So on that note, uh, thank you for joining us for episode 12 of the Ionosphere.